In today's episode, I am speaking with Gabby Otimoyet, who is a project, project manager. And I say this slowly because um, she's a project manager in the strategy team in a community and mental health trust in the Midlands. Um, but what's important is not the role that Gabby's um, holding now, it's the conversation that we had. So let me rewind a little bit. So why have I got, why have I invited Gabby to join us on Bravery in the Boardroom podcast when we're talking about bravery in the boardroom? And I usually have guests who are senior. Um, so at exec level um, in the NHS or in um, businesses that surround or support the NHS, sharing their stories and journeys and how they have driven change. But so why did I want Gabby here? Well, for me, actually hearing and learning and that's the key word, learning from a colleague who's just starting their NHS journey um, and what that feels like. What does that look like? How's Gabby navigating um, to where she wants to get to, which is to lead in the boardroom? But also what is special about Gabby is how she's using her knowledge, her experience, her power and her influence to drive change, not just for herself, not just for her organisation, but for others much more widely too. Gabby is so eloquent in how she makes the complex simple. In this conversation, you will hear how she breaks down how, and that's what you really gain from this conversation, the how. How is she doing what I just said? How she checked herself when she recognised that she wasn't showing up as who she really was. How she embodies and looks for values-led behaviour that she thinks is crucial to driving change and leading people in the right way. And what she's doing to kind of build her own career portfolio and understanding how she's built her network and used, like I said, using her skills and experience for good too. I think I say nuggets, gem, gold so many times in this conversation. And I think after listening to it, you'll say the same too. This is an episode that I say, please, please, please share as widely as you can, because this will really help people at all stages of their career journey and also to understand that entry route to the NHS as well, because Gabby shares her experience of the graduate management scheme and how that has taken her to where she is now. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, and let me know which of the nuggets, gems or gold really stood out for you today. Gabby, hi, it's fantastic to have you here today. Um, I know we've been speaking and I know a, quite a lot about you already, but first of all, welcome to Bravery in the Boardroom. But it'd be great to kick off for our audience with just saying a little bit about you and your role. Fab, thank you. So thanks for having me. I'm Gabby. I'm currently in post as a service development project manager at Midlands Partnership University Trust in the Midlands. Um, and I've come off of the NHS graduate management training scheme in January. So quite fresh into post. It's my first permanent post. Um, I went into the NHS initially wanting to work clinically. So I did an undergrad of biomedical science and then I heard about the graduate training scheme and I thought it was a great way to stay close to the science but maybe develop some of the other skills that I was also interested in. And so far, so good. Um, so at the moment, I'm working with quite a diverse range of services um, and trying to work on recovery efforts from COVID, mm -hmm. backlogs and waiting lists and some of those kind of things as well as general improvement and development. Okay, thank you. My goodness, that's a mouthful there. There's a lot in there. We're going to unpack it today, okay? Um, but I always ask this question. Um, so, you know, congratulations, I think, on starting and kicking off your leadership journey. But if I asked you how you describe your leadership style in three words, what would you say to me? Authentic, probably. Um, 
collaborative and definitely values-based. Okay, we spoke about that, didn't we? Mm. About living values. Okay. Um, so what would be helpful for, I think, for us to understand and if you've jumped straight into the conversation with me and Gabby, I, I have said in the intro why I've invited Gabby on at this stage of her career, but what would still be helpful for us to understand, you mentioned the graduate scheme, but can you just share with us what helped you to get to the graduate scheme and, and to where you are now? So for the year that I started GMTS, the graduate training scheme, there was a 3% acceptance rate. So it's extremely competitive. And if I was to reflect and look backwards, I think one of the things that helped me get there is just taking on a really diverse set of experiences. So through university, I'm the kind of person that's always been very involved in lots of different things. Mm -hmm. um, so I was working on kind of co-creative practice in the university and improving the experiences of ethnic minority students and stuff like that. I don't know if potentially that was a leadership experience that helped set me apart. Um, but I do remember as well in the interview, I was very me. Yeah. I was very open, honest, you know, direct. One of the um, experiences or one of the sessions was to do with negotiation, talking about, you know, contentious issues, etc. And I was really myself. And when I look back, I think that may have also been something that shone through that passion and kind of fiery personality. So, and what's given you the confidence for that? So in terms of we hear a lot now, don't we? Um, about being your authentic self, bring your authentic self to work, or like for you, it was bringing that into uni. Um, is there anything that you reflect on in maybe your childhood, in growing up, that's built that confidence for you? So I think definitely the family home. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents worked in the NHS, mm -hmm. and I kind of come from a typical African household, so mm -hmm. very strong and ambitious, encouraging me all the time, building me up, building me up. So I think that definitely played a factor. But probably as well, I think the more that I learn, the more I realise there is to learn, if you see what I mean. Yes. So when I mentioned the work I was doing at university, went to New York, we worked with NYU. So this early experiences that opened my mind and made me realise it's actually really possible to put yourself in these spaces and start to, you know, advance yourself. Um, so I think my confidence comes from, you know, putting myself out there and doing things outside of my comfort zone, stressing about it and then it going well and me thinking, oh, this is becoming a pattern. I need to keep going, so. Okay, okay. But then tell me about, because um, I know we share, we share a passion for change and transformation. I think it's one of the reasons why we connected in the first place, because my background in the NHS was strategy and transformation. But what sparked your passion for that? I'd love to know more about that too. So I think when I initially went for the grad scheme, there's a specific policy and strategy specialism. And I was tempted, but I thought, let me start with general and kind of go wide, go narrow, potentially down the line. Um, and then by chance, the kind of roles I find myself in. So you do an operational year of training and a strategic year. But in both, I was focused on change and improvement. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's also because I was spare resource. So it's something, you know, yeah. extra that maybe they want to progress with. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I was surprised at how people driven the NHS is because of how big and complex it is. I assumed it'd be process and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's all about people and I'm very peopley. You know, it interests me. I'm fascinated by people. Um and when it comes to change, I think I really enjoy the journey of seeing something, appreciating it from different angles and perspectives, communicating it, 
influencing and you know trying to reach consensus in a way that benefits everybody mm -hmm. and if not at least you know people can understand where you're coming from and why decisions have been made so i think i like that aspect of it but also there's a lot of potential for improvement and for, ch for change in the nhs as well i think that excites me because you know it could be exponential there's there's no kind of end there and i think that continuous improvement mindset as well is something that i find very motivating personally it's so refreshing. <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear your energy and to actually hear your your perception and your lens on the opportunity for change. So in the, the fit, you know, in the heat of the challenge, and we all know the NHS is going through deep challenges at the moment. To hear your energy and and that spark for actually what you described there and what you were sharing, Gabby, the steps almost in the change, but also you said something really crucial in there about being able to understand the con and gain consensus in the change and move that forward and being able to see it. And I think, you know, it's a breath of fresh air to hear you as a, a current change agent now and being excited by that as well. So understand your passion, understand how you describe your leadership style. You mentioned about being values led. You mentioned about being involved and getting involved in uni and kind of um, springboarding, I want to kind of say from that. So. Tell me a bit more about your journey. So, and why, what I mean there is, I'd like to understand your progress journey a bit more. So you said at the very beginning, you're seven months into your, your role. Um, it will be great to understand. And if I'm not asking this clearly, let me try again. Um, in terms of your career goals and where you want to get to, what are some of the challenges you feel you may be facing in that progress journey? I said it that way. So I think at the moment, I have an idea and a sense of where my interest lies and where I'm trying to get to, mm -hmm. but I'm also very open-minded because I've got so many areas of interest. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the first challenges will be narrowing it down and starting to get that exposure that will inform my perspective and kind of how I'm setting up my direction. I think when I look back, um, it, it's, it, I do, it makes me smile because I didn't know what to expect with the graduate scheme. Yeah. So I think one of the initial challenges was just entering an environment that I hadn't prepared myself for perhaps, just being different, being younger, being in an environment where, you know, there's not a lot of people that look like me as mm -hmm. well. Um, I knew to expect it, but I think I didn't know how it would feel being immersed in it. So that was something that I needed to overcome. And I think my initial attempt to do so was kind of simulating, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, recreate what I'm seeing around me. Mm -hmm. um, and that often doesn't work. So that was interesting. And what was your, what was the differences? Was it your race, your age, your, where you live? What were those differences? It, it was definitely it, race, age, and perhaps I'd say, you know, generation with, with the age. So, you know, mm -hmm. different perspectives, different norms. Um, and I think as well, because I'd entered during COVID and, you know, we're just coming out of it and starting to move into recovery, I entered a very tense environment, mm -hmm. working in operations at a very challenged, acute hospital um, in which, you know, there's so many things going on that probably mirror what's going on up and down the country in all sorts of places. Um, and so for me, I've come in and chipper and chirpy and ready to learn and excited and full of ideas yeah. and probably a lot of positive energy. Yeah. And maybe reading the room, that wasn't what I was seeing around me. So I think that, you know, was a little bit of a knock and kind of a bit of a sobering wake up call for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that you grow accustomed to, but also I take it really seriously, the role that I can play to improve that yeah. environment and lift it a little bit. And it's one of the benefits of being new and being someone that hasn't, you know, been through the decades of ups and downs yeah. as a lot of the people with long tenure in the NHS. So 
it's interesting. Tell me more, because you mentioned in there, I know I jumped in for a minute, I wanted to understand the difference. Let me take you back to what you said about, um, you recognised that you were different. You're coming into this space, you've mentioned about new energy, but you also said that I started to assimilate. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think it's very tempting when you look around, and especially when you're looking upwards as well. So I was working with a lot of senior people in the organisation under the guise of a management training scheme. But I've been here for, you know, a very short time. So just that balance was interesting to me. And I think that it's very easy to feel tempted to just recreate what you're seeing in front of you, whether it's the way that people approach a conversation, Mm -hmm. the way that people speak, the things that people don't say, which maybe Mm -hmm. isn't in my nature because I'm very, you know, open (laughs) and direct by nature. So all of those things you pick up on and it can be, you know, tempting to just incorporate them into your own activity without thinking about, am I being me? Mm. And I think that distance between who you actually are and maybe who you're trying to be for me, it just causes internal tension that is not not how I like to operate. So it was good though. Good learning curve, especially at the very start of my career because it's definitely informed my perspective moving forward. So what made you check yourself? So when you were saying, you know, you became aware of it and you checked yourself and said, is this me? Was there a trigger or something that happened that made you kind of do that? So I think that I could I could feel my own kind of emotions and I could sense something going on internally but also I'm so grateful that I've had amazing people around me from the beginning of my journey and you know there was one mentor that I came across a wonderful woman and she kind of said to me don't worry you're not under a spotlight which was so funny because it made me realize she can see that I feel like I am under a spotlight yeah so I think having the right people around me as well who kind of confirmed to me exactly who you are is exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. Don't have to, you know, push yourself and try and, you know, fit a square into a circle, as they say, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a big part of the wake up call or the moving into a new era of kind of comfortability with myself, which actually boosted my performance. And in my current role now, it's like one of the biggest reasons why things are going the yes. way that they're going. Yeah. And I feel it as well. So, And do you feel that, I mean, it's so... I smile here because to hear you check yourself, you know, and have the support, like you said, of your mentors. I've got two questions. Let me ask the first one. You mentioned about having the right people around you. And as I was saying before, this episode is is really important to me in terms of we hear so much from people who are at the top. You know, we use the term you've made it. You're in the boardroom. I've spoken to many people in the boardroom. I think it's, I really want to also shine a light and hear from you, people like people in spaces like you, where you are now in your career. So we understand how, when you're first stepping in, how do you build it? So you mentioned there having the right people around you. How have you gone about that? So I think a part of it has been luck, but there's another large part of it that's not quite, if you see what I mean. So initially, the way that I began building a network within the graduate scheme was through my colleagues, through the teams that I've been placed in. And then, you know, depending on the nature of the work, I might encounter some new people, you know, in that organic way. Um, And then with that, I came into contact with some amazing people who really played a massive role in terms of my own development and building my confidence up in that way. But then beyond that, within the middle of the grad scheme, I started the BYP work. So working with the Black Young Professionals Organization, leading their healthcare professionals network. Through that, I've met so many people. LinkedIn, 
that's how I approached you. I'm, I'm interested in LinkedIn. I'm interested in hearing people's stories. I'm interested in people. <laughs> so that kind of really supports me in terms of, you know, building that network and having the right people around me. And then I would also say as well, you know, within the NHS at the moment, we're in a moment of change where we need difference, different yeah. leaders, mm -hmm. different working practices, different solutions, you know, lots of change. And I would say that sometimes I've been in a position where I can spot people I can learn from yeah. and I kind of go after them <laughs> and build that relationship from a genuine place as well, you know, not, mm -hmm. not necessarily from a transactional place. So that supported me. Um, so yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, this is gold, okay? So anyone who tunes into our, you know, our Bravery in the Boardroom webinars or who tunes into the podcast, what Gabby is sharing here is absolute gold about the how. Just, this is how I've done it. This is why I've done it. And that point you made at the end of, um, you know, it's genuine, I think is so important as well. Um, yes, there are lots of busy people out there, but being able to just get in touch to sometimes like people, I remember saying this on, I think our last webinar, some of the people go for the jugular, you know, they kind of go, can you be my mentor X, Y, and Z? And it's like, actually, do you need a fully need a mentor? Or is it a connection that you're looking for? You know, is it someone you need to want to build in your network? Is it that 30 minute conversation that might actually unlock something for you or give you that insight? So I love what you were sharing there about just how you, how you're using social media to connect with people how you've stepped into BYP, I'm coming back to that. Um, but also, and then why, you know, so actually the example you gave us of why that's been good for you, when you've hit challenges, you've been able to lean on and go to the people that you, as you said it, people I can learn from. I just love that, I love that. Yeah, definitely. And the only thing I'd add as well to that is just, uh, it's not just about getting in the room with senior people, but I'm very pedantic about, am I ready? to enter that room have I done the groundwork where I know what the ask is or do I need to focus on that first so you know sometimes I'm not always looking for mentorship I'm looking for direction of the next thing that I need to upskill myself on so it's like a balance of yes. how, how to kind of work with people that I enjoy you know so, so come on the big ticket <laughs> you're using your leadership and drive and I and I use those words deliberately um in terms of you described you mentioned black young professionals network um, we'll share more in the show notes about that, but I know you'll tell us more. And like you said, you're leading the healthcare division. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so I stumbled across BYP as an organisation. And at the time, they were kind of, you know, they'd been building for a few years, but they were looking to now diversify the way that they were connecting professionals. So they have chapter groups by discipline or by location. Mm -hmm. And there was a gap. There wasn't a healthcare group. And I just thought, why not? <laughs> Why not try and fill that gap? Could I potentially, you know, be in that space? Particularly because I do love public speaking. Mm -hmm. um, at this point as well, I built a network, not just in the NHS, but also from my study years as well. So I started to have a bit of an idea in terms of, oh, this person could I, I could work with and this could be a good idea. Um, and I was apprehensive, but when I went to the interview, I just thought, yeah, I think this is something that I, sh I should give a go and at least mm -hmm. try. And so from that was born the Healthcare Professionals Network. And since then, we've hosted quite a few different monthly events um, focused on networking, career development, different evolving kind of current affairs as well. So our most recent talk was about the gap in maternal health for black women in this country. But interestingly, we had a lot of attendees from America. We we're talking about the nuances of their health. So, so many interesting conversations. And I think as well, what I've loved is seeing the massive expertise in many different areas from different black professionals working in health and care. Um, 
And I would like it to evolve into a space where we can start to coordinate some of those ideas and campaigns and start to, you know, have like community action. Yes. That's, you know, what we're working towards at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's very exciting. And at the moment, we've just launched Javelin, Ooh. which is a career advancement pl platform as well for black professionals. So using AI data points, your CV will match you directly to different roles with our partner organizations, Google, Meta, Sainsbury's, et cetera, you know, lots of different companies that we're partnering with. Um, so I love that as well. I love seeing the business expansion, um, the digital aspect of it as well. Through that voluntary role, I've yes. learned so much yeah. that I haven't learned elsewhere. So, you know, it's been a great experience so far. And we're just about to expand to be health and social care as well. Okay. So that's also exciting. Okay. So if, if someone wanted to um, tell us a little bit more about the um, entry requirements. So if you want to join BYP, are there any kind of entry requirements or criteria for that? So the entry requirement really would be um, that you're a, a young professional, really. Um, so not particularly in terms of the role that I do, it is voluntary. Mm -hmm. I'm not paid. And I work alongside a, a range of other people as well within my team now in the network. Um, so there were no entry requirements. And that's probably part of the reason as well that I just jumped and thought, why not? Yeah. And I think that experience of leading in that different element as well has just shown me so much about myself as well. So again, you know, I love experiences that kind of signal to me, I need to work on that. And there's been many a moment like that with the <laughs> Okay, so the stretch, mm -hmm. you're enjoying the stretch. Definitely a stretch, okay. yeah. Okay, we were talking, wasn't we, beforehand about the, the kind of opportunity now that is there, I think, for thinking differently about how NHS trusts in any organise, any business, to be fair, thinks about retaining talent and kind of um, developing talent and we were talking about the, like what the situation you're in, where actually you're gaining exposure and experience through your role with BYP. We were, and you also mentioned earlier in our conversation about, you know, my mind's open. I'm kind of exploring different avenues, which way I might want to go. I was sharing there about, I think there's, there's a great opportunity for the NHS in particular that does have a burning platform and a workforce crisis to really think about how you retain and attract talent. You know, the opportunity is there to have people coming in, delivering great work in the NHS, but also being given license to have portfolio careers, to have things that they do outside of the NHS that may be voluntary or may not be, mm. and that people can have part-time roles and still bring such a value, I think, to NHS organisations, that innovation, that difference, that energy, because it is hard work. You know, it is, let's call it out, it is hard work, it is challenging and being able to refresh, re-energise um, from work you're doing outside as well. I think there's a win-win there. You know, so hearing about it from you in terms of your career advancement, and that's what I describe it as what you're gaining there, but also thinking about that sort of medium to long-term where I hope there's an opportunity, if that's what you want, where you can have, you can have the best of both worlds. You know, you can have a vocation and a career in the NHS, but still do work outside that brings your wonderful skills and energy back into the NHS too. I, I really I really see a vision there. But connecting to what you were um, talking about in terms of using your knowledge, your position, your confidence is what I would say actually, your confidence to go out there and seize opportunities um, and supporting diverse talent. I wanted to just pick up on that because I know um, from what you've spoken to me about obviously Black Young Professionals Network is there. That is its focus, isn't it? To support diverse talent, to progress 
and to fulfill their potential, if I said it that way, mm -hmm. yeah? Um, I know you're very passionate about this space as well. So it'd be really good to hear from you about what your view is on seeing diverse talent and what, if I said it this way, what difference does it make to have a more diverse team, in your opinion? So, you know, the impact and the power in diversity is something that I can feel inherently. Mm -hmm. But what I really appreciate looking backwards, you know, through GMTS, we study something called the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson Programme. Yeah. And it's healthcare leadership from different angles. And there's such a massive evidence base in terms of the impact that having diverse teams have in a business context, greater profits. Um, I remember, I think, don't quote me, but I think it was 2016, there was something in the Harvard Business Review about the fact that diverse teams feel less comfortable, mm -hmm. but comfortability mm -hmm. can sometimes act in direct opposition to advancement. So there's all this, there's, there's so much up-to-date, you know, research that evidences the fact that diverse teams work better, better team morale, etc. You know, so very much all of that is something that I've studied I'm interested in. But also from my own perspective, I feel like it creates an opportunity for more diverse perspectives to be brought into the conversation. And so particularly at the more senior levels where big decisions are being made, I think that it's a no-brainer to have, you know, people in the room that are reflective of the communities being served. You know, it kind of, you know, it's natural to me anyway, and, it, you know, it really works. Um, but also as well, in my perspective as someone you know, looking to build a career and at the start of that process, I feel that having a diverse organization, a diverse team is attractive mm -hmm. to talent. It want it makes you want to, you know, potentially go and join that team or go and work with them. It says something about, you know, we mentioned values. Yes. Are you living living the values? Yeah. Is it inclusive? Um, but one thing that I'm really passionate about as well is the fact that it's not just about having diversity for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about creating the conditions for people to succeed once they get there. Yeah. Because that can also be, you know, a big factor. So, yeah, definitely. I think it's something that's important. I know there's been a recent resurgence in interest, but definitely I think it needs to be here for like the long, the long haul. And that's something that I try and incorporate into everything I do, into the projects I run. I always ask, what is our lens here? Yeah. You know? So that's a good, that's a great question, isn't it? What is our lens here? because it gives you, it's encouraging you to take a step back, isn't it? And look at what what are we doing? Mm. Who is here? Who's not in the room? Because that's another thing, isn't it? Who's not in the room? Who we should be serving? Mm. Um, are we missing that equity of voice? Um, we've had lots of conversations here in Bravery in the Boardroom about ensuring representation isn't just tick box. You know, and you've mentioned it a few times now in this conversation about being values led um, and I think it is absolutely fundamental that we see leaders who are embodying the values. So NHS Trust, very common, isn't it, to have your values all over your website, quoted everywhere you do it. Um, we hear many people who say, that doesn't match what I see, you know, our mid and senior levels in our boardroom. It doesn't match the behaviours that I see. So from what you were saying there about being, value, being values led, um, asking those questions about you looking up and what you see. What does it feel like in your organisation? I'm very grateful to say that my organisation is one that definitely prioritises living the values as opposed to just promoting them. Yeah. And it's palpable. So, you know, when I joined, I could really feel a difference in terms of the way that people work together, the openness, the transparency. I really appreciated all of that. Um, and in terms of how it feels, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting because 
I will openly have a conversation with very senior people about the fact that we could be more diverse. Then. <laughs> with, with that said, we could still be more diverse. There's still things to aspire to in that realm. Um, but I find that the way that I approach it really nullifies any of that tension, if you know what I mean. So I think pe people are open to having these conversations mm -hmm. and trying to improve things. But I think that blame can sometimes be the thing that really causes a conversation to be stifled. Mm -hmm. um, so I try and avoid that but always engage people. And I think it's also about having the courage to hold people to account. So I always think about the fact that, you know, I'm a very, you know, mid-level mid um, leader at the moment, but everyone from my land manager to anybody else in the organisation I encounter, I'm always asking, what, what are you doing about EDI? Because I think it needs to be absorbed into yeah, people's yeah. day jobs yeah, as yeah. opposed to, you know, we have an EDI lead and, you know, people aren't particularly connected sometimes to what's actually going on. So I find that really interesting accountability so what what i heard from you there is about how i'm how am i using my in my role and what i can influence and do how am i tr using that to hold my senior colleagues to account how am i bringing that conversation how am i raising that challenge to to raise that accountability and what is happening and what more we could do um and it's refreshing it's refreshing to hear that your organization is receptive to that mm -hmm. and you said something so crucial there in what you shared about how it felt, right? Because again, we come back to what we said. I said about values on a website. You can have all the right things. And yeah, we've spoken about it here before. People look you up. So, you know, we've got a lot of people now who, before they go into a workplace, are looking that workplace up, isn't it? They're going to have a look on Glassdoor. They're going to have a look at your website. But as you say, that doesn't always tell you what's translating into practice. Um, and one of those things that I um, say when I'm working with boards and exec teams is if you really want to understand or to have a temperature check about whether your organization is inclusive or whether people feel included is ask them, you know, do you feel and perceive that you have an equal opportunity to progress in this organization? And you saying that it felt different, you know, you'll know from your work in strategy and as a project manager, we want to measure, we want to measure, we want to measure, yeah. don't we? We want it, we want stats, we want quantitative, hard stats, give me the numbers. Actually, how people feel is what is the fundamental difference in inclusion and inclusive leadership. So, you know, you, I don't think you could describe it in any other way. It's absolutely refreshing to hear you say that about organisations. And it's great because sometimes we do only hear where things are very wrong. And I understand why we hear that. We also in Bravery in the Boardroom want to hear from and understand where people are on the journey, on the right track, things are moving forward. What is it that's different and why? So thank you for sharing that. It's really, really helps, I think, our listeners to understand well, what, what makes it different. You know, what makes you feel that that journey is moving forward at your organisation in particular? But the question I have for you now is from your perspective, um, so like you said, you speak with your seniors. Um, what do you think should be prioritised to help turn the dial now so that we do see an increase in diversity in senior leadership? So I'd say from what I've experienced so far, one really important first step that I sometimes think get over, gets overlooked is really listening to people. So if we identify there's a lack of diversity or for some reason certain demographics aren't moving up or whatever, you know, the starting point may be, sometimes I feel that we jump to trying to solve it, mm -hmm. not necessarily maybe fully confident in how we're going to try and do that anyway. 
without listening to people who have been in that situation already and have experienced those difficulties. And I have witnessed firsthand, you know, staff really trying to put across, you know, this is what's happening to me. And sometimes reluctance to actually acknowledge what's being said. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, the first step is to listen and really allow people to feel listened to, to encourage people to have the desire to move up anyway, because some people don't, you know, don't want to even go on that journey because they have no belief anymore. And that's really sad as well, I would say. You know, that's something that makes me feel sad. Um, But beyond that as well, I think I'm really interested in development and talent pipelines Mm -hmm. from every band, you know? So sometimes people highlight specific jumps, you know, seven to eight A or whatever like Mm -hmm. that. But I'm interested at every level, how are we giving people the opportunity to develop and learn more and move up if that's what they desire to do? Mm -hmm. And I think we need more attention to that. I think that a part of that as well as standardising things like appraisal processes, et cetera, and having more targeted intervention there to ensure that we're really trying to promote, you know, improvement and promote people's kind of self-improvement and career development. Um, I think as well, a more important thing sometimes is visible role models. So if people can't see anybody, you know, around them that then perhaps relate to and can inspire them, um, that can sometimes be a bit of a gap as well. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's quite a lot to be done in this space at the moment. But sometimes I'm I'm happy because it seems like things are moving. Yeah. And in my own role in my trust, I'm a trust EDI champion, all these kind of things. I watch the conversation and it seems to be going somewhere. So that does, you know, that makes me feel good. Yeah, thank you for that. Because as we as you say, there's so much to do. But trying to support colleagues, like you said, who we, we have a lot of EDI leads who are working on their own who, like you were describing, um, EDI, um, tackling discrimination, tackling inequalities, isn't seen as everyone's business. You know, people are thinking it's just down to that person over there. So people are trying to tackle 10, 15, 20, 30. I spoke to um, an inclusion and belonging lead a few weeks ago, and she said there are 29 priority actions on our EDI action plan, right? Just not viable to be all be delivered in 12 months. So the the kind of um, view you've given there on what could be prioritised, you know, what could be focused on, I think is so useful and really underpins, doesn't it, trying to build on and start to understand um, your diverse talent in the organisation. But I really heard what you said about the opportunities there for those who want to progress. But you also said something there about there are some people who've lost belief, you know, and I think, again, this conversation is so important to say that, you know, for anyone who has lost lost belief, do connect in to Bravery in the Boardroom. Do listen and, you know, listen to some of our previous webinars and podcasts because I hope that that could reignite if you if you want to progress that, that you feel that you get some inspiration from those because that breaks my heart. Like yeah. what you said there, it does. I really feel that that thing of everyone who has a desire to progress should have equal opportunity to do so. Um, and be able to access the support and development they may need, not just for them, but also their colleagues who hold responsibility for them. So come again, the thing that we're always trying to bring up is we're having a conversation about those who may, may be underrepresented and we understand that there may be development and support needs, but actually they're working in environments where those in the majority also may have development and support needs. So they, there isn't a fear of difference. Yeah. Actually, it's embraced and you, you don't sit in the comfort of same and group think that you mentioned from that business review but actually 
you you can embrace difference. You're not frightened of it. You welcome it, and you, your biases do not make you behave in a way that's discriminatory. Actually, so being able to bring the two sides of the coin together, I think, is so crucial. But thank you because I think what you shared there, your view about what should be prioritised, I think, will be so useful for colleagues who are sitting there with the twenty nine thirty actions, and you know, which way do I turn first? You also said something in there, Gabby, about. Um, hearing listening you said you know listening you don't feel that people are always really truly listening um so true and what you were saying there about um when people do share their experiences that they're acknowledged and accepted is i think what you were saying there as well um so fundamentally important we do see people going over and over again you know we want to hear lived experience we want to understand it we want to understand it and there's sympathy shown but there is no action. And I will say it straight. If you are know you're not going to take any action, don't ask people to share their experiences. It can be traumatic yeah. for people and it can be completely demoralizing if nothing then happens. If you know, as organizations, as senior leaders, if you know you are not willing to move forward, you are not willing to take action, do not ask people to come and share their experiences. Or if you do ask them, as Mel Coombs, when we interviewed her from the chief exec from Coventry and Warwickshire Trust said, when people share their experiences, believe them. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's that thing, isn't it? So no, I'm not calling this out to, to frighten anyone or to tell you to shy away. But if you ask for it, act on it. And when you hear it, believe it. I think it's so important. And the, the term that I try to use to boil that all down is listen to understand, not to defend or respond. You know, that understanding that you will hear and gain from truly listening can really unlock and drive change like you were saying. So such a powerful point you shared there. Thank you, Gabby. So I'm nearly at the end of my questions. You'll be pleased to know. Um, just want to hear from you as well, because you've shared so much of us today. But if I was going to pin you down a little bit more, um, what advice would you give to other aspiring execs? Because although you said, you, you, I know from our first conversation, I think it was that I know you aspire to hold a seat, be in the boardroom, driving the change and leading in the way that you've described today. And I think you'll be fantastic, fantastic um, when you get there as an exec. But what, what advice would you give to a, other aspiring execs and other aspiring senior leaders Um yeah, what, would, what advice would you give to them about their career progression? And um, Yeah, what you'd say to do. So I think firstly, I'm keen to always balance being a critical thinker and always trying to spot an opportunity to improve mm -hmm. with also recognising what I'm already have done, currently doing. So, you know, it's a constant balance, you know, knowing that there's so much more to go, but also giving that grace and being proud of what I've accomplished so far. Yes. And I think that helps me keep going and kind of feeds that drive and that motivation in a way. So I think always, you know, maintain that balance. I think it's really important to develop your self-awareness mm -hmm. and be able to be honest with yourself about what comes very naturally, um, what perhaps doesn't, but you need to get a handle on. Um, but I would say advice that's been given to me that I've really rolled with is lean into what comes naturally to you. Yeah. Um, so for example, public speaking, although it makes me nervous, it does, <laughs> I, I, I love, you know, getting in conversation with people, discussing all sorts of things. So that's something that I'm trying to do. 
Um, so very much lean in and trying to identify what makes you happy at work and what actually gives you that job satisfaction. And then maybe lastly, I would just say anticipate challenges. So something that maybe, I don't know if it's my naivety or what have you, but I didn't quite anticipate, as I mentioned, the environment I was stepping into. Mm -hmm. um, when I am trying to roll out a new project, I just assume, of course, everyone's going to buy into it because it's fabulous. But no, anticipate challenges. Try and, you know, really prepare yourself and be in a state of readiness so that you can make that process a little bit easier on yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and so that you can kind of maintain that perseverance, really. So... Okay, I think, again, big gems there in terms of practical advice for people. Thank you. Thank you so much. So my very last question that I would like to ask, because, again, leading by example, role modeling, as you, and I, I know you're a role model for many. And I think after people listen to this episode, you'll be a role model for many, many more. But I want to ask the question about looking after your well-being and maintaining balance. What do you do to look after your well-being? I think in the hybrid world that we're kind of in at the moment, I really like a healthy routine mm -hmm. and kind of that work is finished now. It's time to move on and kind of, you know, relax, wind down. So that's something that's really important to me. Um, I'm big on nature. I love being outside. I find that very energizing and kind of restorative for me personally. And then, you know, family and friends, I've mentioned already now three times. I'm yeah. so peopley. So, you know, I love <laughs> to be around my inner circle. That again energizes me and we talk a lot about career as well yeah. and kind of encourage each other and share tips and what's going on so that is something that i find helps me as well and really gives me that balance and that positivity in my life as well okay gabby thank you so much for such a refreshing conversation you've shared so many i think i said gold gems but just really practical but insightful advice as well and i think there's so much that we hear of the what you know, this is what you should be doing, you know, to advance your career, to lead authentically, to drive change. I think we hear so much of the what. In this conversation today, you've shared so much of the how, you know, how you've done that and how you're doing it and how you're going to do it. Um, I really heard that from what you shared today. So, you know, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and um, watch this space because you're going to be back. Like, I feel like I want to come and speak with you again in 12 to 18 months and see how it's going for you so thank you so much for today and thank you for being that visible role model for me as well oh you're most you're most welcome you're most welcome thank you gabby